Good morning again. If you open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, so you might have noticed there's something extra in your bulletin today. Um, I've asked a couple young ladies um, if they might hand it. You're going to need something to write with today. So if you didn't bring a pen, um, we're going to bring you one. Um, we don't normally have a handout in the bulletin with a bunch of blanks on it, but today you do, and you'll understand why because of the complex passage. Um, so in just a moment, uh, we'll have pens for you. I mean, if you open your Bible, if you need a Bible, um, they're back there. If you get your own Bible, we'll bring you a pen. Um, but we also have uh, the passages on page 7. So we're in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to finish a Galatians. So just raise your hand if you need a pen. And some fine ladies will bring them to you. So we'll let those all get passed out. I guess I should open my own Bible. That's going to help, won't it? All right, Galatians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 21. So again, uh, we're continuing our Galatians series. Uh, We're in chapter 4, and we're beginning in verse 21. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Let's give our attention. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. For the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this very complex passage, We thank you that you have left your Holy Spirit, that you've sent your Holy Spirit to help us, that we are not alone to muddle through your word in this life, but we have your Spirit to teach us, to explain to us, to help us understand. So Spirit, I'm going to lean on you, both for my sake and for their sake, that you would make sense of this, that this, this, what has the potential to be a very powerful passage would be just that. So we need your help and we ask it now in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. This morning, as I begin, I want to tell you a story about Martin Luther King Jr., and actually especially his daughter, his six-year-old daughter that he called Yoki. So he um, often would fly places to speak um, in his ministry and work, and, uh, but his daughter just loved spending time with her dad, and so whenever possible, she would ride with him to the airport. And so here's little Yoki riding to the airport, and off to the side of the highway is Funland. And she would say, oh, Daddy, I want to go to Funland. Can we please go to Funland? He would 
quickly changed the subject to something else because what he knew was that it was segregated and that blacks were not allowed there. And so he would quickly change the subject and, you know, it, it worked. Until finally, one day at home, she was watching TV and a commercial for Funland came on. And so she runs downstairs to her dad and says, Daddy, Daddy, I've been asking you, you've got to take me to Funland. Okay, so here's Martin Luther King Jr., the great speaker orator. He spoke on segregation to huge crowds. He never was without a word until his six-year-old is standing before him and he's speechless. He doesn't know how to explain to his little daughter this. And so he calls her and she sits in his lap. She tries to be as gentle as possible. And he says, little Yoki, there, there are some, um, some white people who are very confused. He didn't want her to have a bad view of all whites. And he said, um, but there's some and, and they, Funland is, is people with our color skin aren't allowed there. And she just broke down crying. She was broken heart. She's, her, her face fell in shame and disgrace. And, and, and what could he do? And so he just, he tries to, so he says, there, there are people who are trying to get Funland open for all people. There's a little Yoki. I don't know, have you ever hung your head in defeat? Have you ever felt like little Yoki? I mean, there's some people that feel like church is for good people. They say things like, I don't belong there. Or people that come say, if people really knew what I was like, I'd get kicked out faster than Yoki out of Funland. Is that really what church is to be like? There are people that think that's not at all. They feel like I don't measure up. If you can relate it all with any of these emotions or you've had any of these, this passage has the potential to be very helpful to you. And so that's our task this morning. Uh, many commentators uh, say this is one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. So you've been forewarned. We are got some tough sledding ahead. But with the help of this TV and a handout and a chart, I think we're going to get through this. So we're going to do things differently than we normally do. The outline is not structured like we normally do. We're basically going to do a three-story house. Right? First, we're going to look at, he's using a historical story as an allegory. First, we're going to look at the story itself. So you see that, that's point one, historical situation. Second is the allegorical interpretation. So second story is, how is Paul using this true story as an allegory? Okay? Then the third is going to be practical application. How, how is it useful for us today? Does that make sense? So that's where we're going this morning. So let's begin with that first. Historical situation. So at this point, we're just trying to explain what happened in Genesis 12 to 21. That's where you find this story. Paul is using, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but it's going to go through the story of Abraham. And he had, well, so let me tell you. So Abraham gets this promise from God that he's going to be this great nation, have all these descendants. There's one problem. He has no what? Children, a key part of having lots of descendants. They're very old at this point. Abraham's 86, his wife is 76. Kids, are any of your grandparents having more kids right now? No. No, no one in their 70s and 80s is having kids. They knew this, and so what do they do? They take matters into their own hands. This was actually a common practice in this day when a couple that had no kids sometimes would have a child with a servant, and then that could be the heir. They say, this, this will solve God's problem. So they help God out, and um, uh, Sarah brings Hagar to Abraham. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant, has a child. The child's name is Ishmael. God comes back and says, that's not what I had in mind. That's paraphrase. He said, <laughs> he said, you will have a child. It will be through you, Sarah, he says. 
So then fast forward. She's now 90. He's now 100. And this child of promise is born. His name is Isaac. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Look at verse 22 again. It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, that's Hagar, and one by the free woman. Then verse 23 it says, But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So when it says born through the flesh, it was no miracle that Abraham slept with a young lady and she got pregnant. That's normal. Okay? That's according to the flesh. However, his 90-year-old wife, that is a miracle. Okay? So that's by promise. That's what he's saying in verse 23. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher, said, Every Christian is a miracle. Ask you about your birth. Did you have a miraculous birth? Spiritually speaking, the answer would be yes if you're a Christian. Every Christian is born of a miracle. It is not normal. Now, coming to church, anybody can come to church. Lots of people do it. That does not take a miracle. It's good for your social network. It's good for community. Lots of benefits to it. That doesn't take a miracle. What does take a miracle is for a person to see that they are a broken sinner. There's nothing they can do to save themselves. And then to run to Christ. That is a miracle. No one naturally runs to Christ. Every Christian birth. So your birth was a miracle. We'll, we'll unpack that more later. Okay, that is the historical situation. Okay, so now we're going to move to the second story of our building. All right, so the second story is allegorical interpretation. Kids, do you know what an allegory is? An allegory is a story. Usually it's not a true story, and everything in it means something. The people, the places, the most famous allegory of all times is, do you guys know? Yes, Pilgrim's Progress. Unfair advantage, we talked about it last night. <laughs> okay, Pilgrim's Progress, the characters in it were na- had names like Christian. I wonder what that meant. Um, faithful, hopeful. They went to places like Doubtful Castle, Hill of Difficulty. So you get the idea. That's generally what an allegory is. Generally, allegories are not true. You might have heard of fables, like Aesop's Fables. Slightly different, but same idea, where everything means something. Okay, so we come to this, but is this, an, is this a, a pretend story? No, this is real history. Now, some people even look at this and say, see, this is Paul actually is teaching us how to interpret the whole Old Testament. You, you use it as an allegory. That's not history. It's all just allegories. See, look, Paul's doing it. He just said it right here. No, right? The book of Galatians, he's already talked about Abraham several times as a real guy, hasn't he? He believes in the historicity, big word for it, it's real history of the Old Testament. But is it not true that you can take a real story and still use it allegorically? It does not undermine the real history of it. That's what Paul's doing. Generally, allegories are not true. This one is. Just so you understand what's going on. Philip Ryken in his commentary said this. I thought it... It was great. He said, there's two types of people in the world. There's those people that divide people into two types of categories. And there's people that don't. Well, Paul is of the first. He's dividing everyone into two categories. All right, this whole passage is laid out as two lists. So this is where you need that little handout. So grab that handout. And what we're going to do is we're going to fill in that handout. Kids, you can do this. 
We're going to put the answers on the screen. It's going to be very easy. All right, what this is going to do is lay out to you. See, one is titled slavery and one is titled freedom. Look at verse 22 again. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. Okay, so you can fill it in. And it says, who was the slave woman was Hagar. And the free woman was Sarah. Okay, then he goes on. He says, but the sons of the slave was born according to the flesh. Okay, who was the son of the slave woman was Ishmael. The son of the free woman, this is verse 23, was born through promise. That was Isaac. Okay, what he's doing is he's going to lay these out as two parallel options. Look at verse 24, the beginning of it. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Ooh, do you guys remember in the past month or two, two covenants we've talked about? Sound familiar? If you haven't been here, that's okay, I'll tell you. It was the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. The covenant of works came to Adam and Eve. It was very simple. That tree there, don't eat from it. Simple as that. If you don't eat from it, you'll live forever. Obey the rule, you'll live. So perfect obedience equals salvation or eternal life. That um, covenant of works still remains true all the way through history. Then we get to the covenant of grace. It's far better. In this one, Jesus reached back to the covenant of works and he fulfilled it. He actually did that. He obeyed every rule, won salvation, and then gives it to us. We're the undeserved recipients of it, okay? So that's covenant of works, covenant of grace. So what does he say in verse 24? He says these two women are two covenants, okay? So now he's saying that Hagar is the covenant of works and that uh, Sarah is the covenant of grace. One is from Mount Sinai. Man, Paul, how many things are you going to bring in here? Okay, Mount Sinai, what happened on Mount Sinai? If you remember from the spring, the Ten Commandments were given there to Moses. So Mount Sinai, that goes under Hagar. It said, one is from Mount Sinai, this is middle verse 24, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Uh, If I look back in Galatians 3, verse 23, it said this. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. So think Mount Sinai, think law. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So the law that was received in Mount Sinai held everybody captive as slaves until Christ came and set them free from the guardian. Remember when both Brandon and I preached, right? Guardian came up. Not your friend. The guardian. But then look back at verse 21. Go back to the beginning. He says, tell me, almost sarcastically, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? What he's saying here is, if you want to be under the law, just realize what we're talking about here. And so then he begins to lay out these two columns. If you're under the law, you are a child of Hagar. It's, it leads to slavery. You're back under Mount Sinai. He's going to add something else in. Look at verse 25. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem. Okay, now here's our next thing. Present Jerusalem. Now kids, what was in the center of Jerusalem? Big building called the temple. And who, whose house was that? Who lived there? God did. Very good. This was God's house. And so in the Holy of Holies, there's this huge curtain that separated it from everyone else. And God's presence was there. The Ark of the Covenant was there. Okay, but then what happened when Jesus died on the cross? Kids, what was torn in half? 
that curtain, wasn't it? This was a sign that God had left. This was no longer his house anymore. This was now an empty house. Jerusalem was no longer, in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was the holy city. The temple was the holy place. This is where God lived. Not anymore. When Christ came, God left. 1 Corinthians tells us. Because you might ask, where's his new house? 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. Do me switch to the other microphone? All right. Plan B. Am I on? All right, here we go. Okay, so where's the temple now? Point to yourself. That's right. Right, so this is God lives with his people. He no longer lives in Jerusalem. Now think, all right, and remember who, who is this all? This letter is for the Galatian Christians who have who is coming tormenting them? The Judaizers, right? Where do you think the Judaizers came from? Jerusalem. I'm sure everyone's connecting the dots in Galatia. He's saying that the implications of this are profound. He's saying present Jerusalem is Judaism, and those are the Judaizers, and they are the children of Hagar. And that's like saying you're the children of Isis or something. I mean, it is not a compliment. This is the illegitimate child of Abraham. There are two sons of Abraham. This was a huge smack in the face to the Judaizers. Why is he saying they're the children of, of Hagar? Because they're in slavery. If the Gentile Christians turn back to the old law and try to live in it to please God, they're back as slaves, which is the children of Hagar. That's the point he's making. And what's interesting is that can't you imagine the Judaizers coming to the Gentile believers there in Galatians saying, you guys are Gentiles. You guys are like second-class citizens. If you want to be real, it's good you believe in Jesus. That's good. That's a starting point. But you need to become more Jewish if you're going to be the children of Abraham. And look what, look what Paul does. He turns it on the, on the head and says, no, they are the children of Hagar. Yeah, they're, the, they're, they're children of Abraham, all right, of the illegitimate child. Do you see what he's doing? They're children of the slave. You see, a child of a slave is also a slave. Now, let me just pause and make a very important clarification. The Bible is not condoning slavery, that evil thing that is slavery. The Bible is describing that Abraham had a slave woman and had a child with her. The Bible describes many things. Polygamy. The Bible does not promote polygamy. I'm thankful I see all of you here. I already got that memo. Only one wife with each man. That's good. But seriously... The point is still made, isn't it? That a child of a slave is still a slave. Anyone who tries to earn and work real hard to please God. I mean, can a slave work real hard and become a son? No, they work real hard. They're still a slave. That would be true, he's saying, of the Galatian Christians. If you listen to the Judaizers, you will be slaves. You will never be sons. Sonship does not come through slavery. Make sense? That's what Paul's saying. Look at verse 26. He's going to turn it to another Jerusalem. He says, but the Jerusalem above is free. I don't know if I finish verse 25. It says, she corresponds to present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Judaism was in slavery. All of it was. 
But then verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Okay, so what do we think this Jerusalem above means? Well, let's think about it for a second. Who are the citizens of the Jerusalem above? You are. If you are a Christian, your citizenship is in heaven already right now. There is a seat at the banquet table of Jesus with your name on it. It's waiting for you right now. Jesus said in John 14, 3, he said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you will be also. So he's prepared a place for you. You're just a sojourner here. Okay, so let's keep connecting the dots. All the citizens of heaven are here right now. Some of them have already gone to glory, but all of us are here. And then we gather together in what? The church. So the Jerusalem above is referring to the church. Do you see that? Because we're the citizens of it. But then you see who are. So you've got the... um, the children of present Jerusalem are the legalists, which are the Judaizers. Are there still legalists today? I'm sure all of you have met some of them. They're miserable to be around. But they still exist. The children of the Jerusalem above are Christians. And it'll appear momentarily. And, uh, okay, look at verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear talking about Sarah. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one, Sarah, will be more than those of the one who had a husband. He's quoting from Isaiah 54, verse 1, talking about Sarah. Look at verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Now this is old Pharisee Paul. He used to be a Pharisee, right? So here's this very Jewish man calling the Gentile believers brothers because they're family. Isn't it interesting? See, that what's even stronger than blood is Christ. See, because Paul and the Judaizers were the same nationality. But he's actually saying, no, they're the children of Hagar, and we are brothers because of Christ. Because of Christ. So he goes on, look at verse 29. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, that was Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. You know, one of the ways you can know, well, actually, let me read you a verse from um, Genesis 21. And we hear of this, and Isaac grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing and mockery. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. It's interesting, that verse you see quoted, that's verse 30 in our passage, isn't it? Quoting Sarah. But he was persecuting Isaac. He was making fun of him, right? Because, and this is often true. How do you know who are the legitimate Christians? Probably the people that are being beat on by the other people. Right now, once in a while, the sons of Ishmael will, will attack and persecute other sons of Ishmael, but generally, Christians are the ones being persecuted. The ones who are the children. Isaac was being persecuted by Ishmael. Jesus even says, Sometimes your enemies will be of your own household. Some of you might have experienced that to have someone from your own household 
who's persecuting you because of your faith. It happens all around the world. If you're living in freedom, those who live in slavery will not be happy. Now, an interesting thing is, do you know um, Islam traces its heritage back to who? Ishmael. Is there any persecution between Islam and Christians? Absolutely. It's still happening. The descendants of Ishmael are persecuting the descendants of Isaac. And if you are a descendant of Isaac, if you are a Christian, then you too will be persecuted at some point. Look at verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman. That's the same verse I just read to you from uh, Genesis 21. And her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Okay, now again, connect the dots. What implication does this have for the Judaizers? Well, let's connect those dots. If he's saying that they are the children of Hagar, what instruction did Sarah give about the children of Hagar? Cast them out. Paul, not so subtly, is saying, cast out these Judaizers. They are not your friends. They are there to destroy. This has always been a problem in the church. So he says, cast out the Judaizers. Look at verse 31. So brothers, again, he's saying his unity. We are not children of the slave but of the free woman. This allegory would be, have powerful implications, I hope you see, for the Galatian Christians. If, they're, if they connect all the dots, and with a little bit of help, hopefully you've been able to connect all the dots to see what's going on. Okay, so we come to our, our last, our third story. Okay, so now we see how it's helpful for the Galatians. What about us? Practical implications. So as I said in the beginning, we sometimes feel like we don't belong and we don't measure up. Sometimes that's internally and sometimes that's by others. I mean, others, sometimes Christians will make you feel about this big, right? They can say, you know, real Christians read their Bible every day. Real Christians read the Bible of their kids every day. I mean, you could just keep adding to that, right? And we've talked about this previously in the series. So you feel little, and this is exactly what the Judaizers were doing. As if to say, you don't belong here unless you act like a Jew. One of the greatest fears that many people face is being shown to be a fraud. How does Paul combat this? He shows that the actual frauds were the Judaizers. That's what he did. He showed that they were the frauds. So yes, Abraham was their father, but Hagar was their spiritual mother. Their life was slave to a lifeless law. The, actually, the Gentile Christians were the real, the real deal. They were spiritual children of Sarah. They are the children of promise. Remember Martin Lloyd-Jones, every Christian is a miracle. What about you? Who is your mother? Spiritually speaking, who is your mother? Here's a test. What do you do to prove yourself? To prove to yourself and to others that you matter. How can you live with what you see in the mirror? What do you do? Do you put on the, the makeup of religiousness, a good life, trying to be kind at work and fair? If so, you are living as a child of Hagar. That's how slaves live. That's not how free people live. Always trying to prove themselves. 
And we talked about the retreat if you were there, and even in the sermon the Sunday after, about orphans. That's how orphans live. That's not how children live. So I say to you, if you are free, don't live as a slave. Don't live as a slave. Of course, we all do at times. I do and you do, but we shouldn't. Kids, has anyone ever made fun of you? Made fun of you at school or on the street? It's not a fun moment. Most all of us have experienced it. Adults will experience it at times. People find out you're a Christian. Not everyone will be excited. And this is the height of irony. Because they're trying to shame us when actually they're the ones that should be ashamed. They're lifeless slaves, and we are adopted children. This was Paul's whole point. Don't let anyone look down on you. Paul said this to Timothy. Let no one despise you because of your youth. You are a citizen of the Jerusalem that is above. Your spiritual birth is a miracle. You should stand tall. You are a child of Sarah, spiritually speaking. As we started this morning with that story of Yoki and Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King and many others faced intense shaming. One in particular that stands out to me is uh, February 1960. This was in uh, Greensboro, just four hours from here, at Woolworth's store, the white-only lunch counter. Some of you know this story. Four college students sat at the, African-American college students sat at the white-only counter and asked politely to be served. Of course, they were refused. They just sat there and waited. Well, what transpired in the coming days was great shaming. Much ridicule, some physical abuse, and drinks poured on their head. And they had, How much confidence do you think it took for those students to sit there knowing who they are? No matter what you call me, it doesn't change what I am. I mean, can you imagine being one of the students? I can't imagine it. Amazing confidence. If any of those, I have no idea, think if one of those was a Christian. Think about the rest of their life. If anyone ever tried to shame them, you know what immediately jumped into their mind that day. Having drinks poured on their head, being yelled at, all kind of names. We can have courage because we have an identity that is not determined by what other people say. You have an identity that is not determined by what other people say. This was the whole point, isn't it? Isn't this the point of what Paul was trying to say to them? You are sons of a free woman. Don't let anyone make you a slave again. You're heirs according to promise. Can you think of anyone else who has ever been spit on? Maybe someone who is verbally and physically abused. What about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? There was a great effort to shame him. There was a great effort to humiliate him in every way. Hear these words from Isaiah 53. This is about Christ. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one with whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Because Christ 
with shame, you don't have to be. You can stand tall with confidence, no matter who you're with, no matter what they say, no matter how they treat you. Because of this, Christ took the shame that you don't have to. There is shame for our sins. That's absolutely true. But it's already been dealt with. It's been dealt with on the cross. The Spirit of Christ is in you. And this gives us courage to face shame with courage. You are the legitimate heirs of Abraham, not of Hagar, but Sarah. You are a miracle, an heir of promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that though embedded in this complex passage is the truth that we are free, that no one can make a slave again to the law. Lord, we pray that you would penetrate this deep into my heart, into all of our hearts. We give us great freedom and confidence. We hope it did for the Galatian Christians that they actually did cast out the Judaizers. Lord, I pray that you would work that in each child here. As certainly they and all the adults, we will be shamed. The children of Ishmael have always hated the children of Isaac. So Lord, I pray that you would give us courage and confidence to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you bore all the shame on the tree that we deserved. We pray in your name, Christ. Amen.